there was this teacher. And she was trying to teach this little boy about addition. So she says, okay, if I give you two cats, and then I give you another two cats, and then I give you another two cats. Sharon, you're going to love this. You're going to laugh so hard. You're going to be so proud of me on the way home. You know, that's the funniest joke you ever told. Okay, so she's teaching a little boy math. She says, if I give you two cats, listen carefully, and I give you another two cats, and then I give you a third two cats, how many cats will you have? Little boy thinks. He said, seven. She said, no, 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 no. Now listen carefully. I give you two cats, I give you two more cats, and then two more cats. Think now, how many cats will you have? He says, seven. She says, well, let me try something else. Okay. I give you two oranges and another two oranges and then a third two oranges. How many oranges will you have? He said, six. She said, yes, six. That's what you have. Okay. If I give you two cats and another two cats, do you know where I'm going with this already, Sharon? Does everybody know where I'm going with this already? (laughs) Get it up. (laughs) Quit prolonging the pain and the agony. We're suffering. I give you two cats, I give you another two cats, and I give you another two cats. How many cats do you have? And he, th- he says, seven. She says, how can you possibly come up with seven? He says, because I already have one cat at home. <laughs> I'm looking to Sharon for sympathy. And... Okay, enough of that foolishness. This morning we're going to look at the widow's obedience. And the subtitle is How God Can Use Trials in Our Lives. I've said often from this pulpit that we as Christians have the best life there is. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. The best decision I ever made was to accept Christ as my Savior. It was life-changing, life-transforming. It helps me to know where I came from. It helps me to know why I'm here. It, it, it helps me to know where I am going. Having Jesus Christ as my Savior, you, you cannot beat it. People that do not know Christ or don't want to know Christ, you're making the biggest mistake of your life if we have such a person here uh, this morning. Nonetheless, while knowing Christ as your Savior prevents a lot of heartaches and a lot of heartbreaks, that you might have otherwise if you didn't know him as your Savior. We as Christians are not immune from problems. And as I've said a hundred times before, you know, our car batteries go dead too. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you now reside on easy street and every day is going to be a super sparkly day. It doesn't mean that. I think our lives are far richer, far fuller, and way more purposeful than unsaved people's lives. But we do have problems and trials, and sometimes they can be quite severe in our lives. But the difference is God allows problems and trials in our lives for a reason and for a purpose. An unsaved person is just frustrated and angry with the bad luck that they're experiencing. For them, there is no purpose, there is no rhyme or reason for it. It makes most of them just either mad or depressed. We as Christians, when trials come our way, shouldn't get mad, shouldn't get depressed. Because we, unlike them, know 
that God has allowed this trial in my life for a purpose. As a Christian, because I'm not living the same kind of reckless lives that many uh, lost people are living, and I'm not making the same foolish choices that they're making, I'm going to avoid a lot of the problems. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get the, the sexually transmitted diseases because I'm not living like they live. I, I have uh, the Lord and his word to, to guide me. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get lung cancer from smoking cigarettes. I know my body is the temple of the Lord. But we can still get sick. Loved ones can get sick. We can go through some real challenges and problems, and loved ones can go through some real challenges and problems. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul, lived back in England in the late 1800s, had a mega church before there were mega churches, had a couple things to say about trials and problems of Christians. He says, So surely as the stars are fashioned by his hands and their orbits fixed by him, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He, now listen to this, he, talking about God, has ordained their season, talking about our trials, he has ordained their season and their place, their intensity, and the effect they shall have upon us. If you're going through a trial right now, or if you go through a trial in the future, which surely we all will, That's an important perspective to have. You know, I preached the last several Sundays about perspective, how perspective is important. Charles Spurgeon was reminding his congregation of very important truth, that he has ordained their season. In other words, God is telling us, God determines when we're going to go through trials. He says their place, where we're going to go through trials, their intensity, how severe the trials will be and the effect they shall have upon us. If you're going through a trial right now, you needn't be angry, and you needn't be depressed. You need to have the proper perspective, and I think Charles Spurgeon um, speaks that very eloquently. He also said the following, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. That's a blessing that you and I as Christians have when we go through trials that our unsaved family and friends will never experience. Our trials are for our benefit, and they can be painful. As Spurgeon says here, they dig up our soil and let us see what we're made of. And and sometimes we need to see that we're not as spiritual as we thought we were. We're not as spiritually mature as we thought we were. In fact, maybe we were overly confident, maybe even proud. And the, the Lord has a way of using trials to bring us down. And our story today, the prophet Elijah is going to experience life through a widow that he meets in the town of Zarephath. The prophet and the widow of Zarephath are going to experience a trial today that the Lord is using on their behalf. And if you're experiencing some trials today in your life, you can learn some very important lessons from the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Our story starts with the prophet Elijah. 
Elijah has pronounced a drought upon the land. It is not going to rain. And in a purely agrarian culture and society, which is the society uh, that existed at the time of the drought, that can be dreadful. There are no crops. There are no there, there's no food. There's nothing stored in the, in the freezer. There's no freeze-dried, you know, food for you to go to. And he has pronounced a drought upon the land. Now, God, in looking out for Elijah, tells Elijah to go hide himself by the brook Cherith. There was a stream that was running. But as the drought proceeded, the stream dried up. God had been not only using that stream to provide for Elijah during the drought, but he also had ravens miraculously come and feed him. But when the brook dried up, God directed Elijah to go to the town of Zarephath. And he said, there's going to be a widow woman there, and you're going to interact with her, and I am going to use her to feed you, herself and her son, even through this drought. So we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, that's Elijah, saying, Arise, see the brook dried up, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. See, God works in unusual ways. Not, Not a king, not a wealthy person, but a widow woman. God can use anybody. You may be here this morning and you're a widow lady. Understand that God still uses widow ladies to this day. So in verse number 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water. Well, which in that day and age with the drought going on had to be you know, something that was very uh, scarce, therefore very valuable, very limited. But nonetheless, he says, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, (coughs) he called to her and said, hey, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. So he says, you know, if you would, get me some water. And if you would, you know, bring me something to eat. You say, well, boy, you know, he's being awfully bold, you know, here he is in a drought. But you've got to remember, God told him that this woman was going to feed him. So he's not being rude, and he's not being selfish. I think what we're reading here is he's being trusting of the Lord. The Lord said he was going to do it. In verse number 12, and she said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it or make this for me and my son that we may eat it and die. You talk about somebody feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders. You may feel that right now with what you're going through. But she's facing death. And the awful thought that her son, who who no doubt she loved like you love your children... She couldn't see anything foreseeable happening except for him dying as well. And Elijah said unto her, fear not. Well, why do you have to say that? Because she was afraid. Man, you you go to the cupboards and they're bare. You go to the freezer and there's nothing in there. And you go to the store and the shelves are empty. Yeah, you're going to be fearful. So Elijah says, 
Where are we? Which one are we on? Verse number 12. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. I can see him saying, I, I know, I know, but, but trust me on this one. You, you go ahead, and what little you have left, you go ahead and make it up and make me something. Bring it to me first, and then you and your son can eat. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Elijah was a man of faith. Here this woman is feeling the weight of the world on her shoulders, not knowing where her next meal is going to come from. In fact, fearing there is no next meal. But Elijah is showing a great faith in the Lord. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She's showing great faith there as well. That we show that kind of faith with what we hear from the pulpit, from what you hear from the man of God. Not that I'm anybody, but when I speak God's word, when I'm telling you this is what the Bible says... You know, are you so obedient to listen and to do as told? You say, well, sure I am. Well, are you? Do you tithe? Do you, do you dress properly? You know, the Bible says we're to be modest. Do you not hang around people that you shouldn't hang around? The Bible says a companion of fools will be destroyed. So again, let's not pat ourselves on the back if we're not in a position to do that. Let us realize, though, that when God says something, We need to demonstrate the same kind of faith that this widow woman is showing. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. A miracle happened. There was an endless supply of meal. There was an endless supply of oil. Verse number 16. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of God, which he spake by Elijah. Again, we need to listen to the Lord when he speaks. We need to listen to his word. She listened. She did what she was told, and she was blessed. I have found that most often when people don't listen to the preaching, don't listen, make their arguments, make the case against what the preacher is preaching, that they don't experience further blessings. This woman did what she was told. It was hard to understand. I, no doubt it didn't make sense to her. How in the world can we be sustained? I got this little handful. I can barely make enough for you, barely for me and my son. Then we're gonna die. But she did it. She listened to God's man. She listened to God's word. And as a result, she was blessed. She was encouraged. But if you've been saved any length of time, you know that with God's blessings... Sometimes trials can come. You can go through a period of life where it seems like maybe blessing after blessing after blessing. Everything is falling into place and all things are good. And then all of a sudden, everything can change. And that's what happens in this story. She listened to the preacher. She did what was said. She followed the orders. She believed in God, and they were blessed, and for an extended period of time. But then God allowed a change. He allowed something to happen here that she wasn't going to expect. And we have to understand as Christians, sometimes you may go through a period of blessings and and goodness of God and experience his grace 
Don't be surprised, though, that with a phone call, that all might change. With a doctor's report, that all might change. Called into the boss's office, you might find out that on a dime, that all might change. The question is, then how are you going to react? It's easy, it's even fun to be faithful and show up at church when everything is good and you got a little extra to put in the offering plate and you can help out Mrs. So-and-so because you know she's struggling and you give her a $20 bill or whatever and life, life is good and that, that's good. But, but what about with that phone call you don't want to hear? Let's read on. Verse number 17. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. Mom, I don't feel good. Well, go lay down. You'll be all right. Later. Mom, I really don't feel good. Well, you don't seem to be yourself either. Let me feel your forehead. Oh, you're hot as a firecracker. Here, take this. I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. You, you just rest. And his sickness was sore. It got worse to the point that he died that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? Boy, things are going to change on a dime. O thou man of God. I think that was, I can't prove it, but I think she said that sarcastically. That's the way I read it. What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Now, they just experienced miracles. You see how... We can be tripped up. She had experienced a miracle. Multiple, I mean, daily miracles according to the word of God. And just like that, (coughs) we're going to see that her faith, even having experienced miracles, was not what perhaps she thought it was. Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She obviously, by the statement, art thou coming to me to call my sin to remembrance. There are theologians that say there must have been some skeletons in her closet, or a really big skeleton in her closet, and she thought that God was judging her for that. You're here just to bring up my past. You're here to, 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 to pull up my, my weaknesses, and, and you slay my son. Verse number 19, and he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, she's holding her dead son, and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him down on his own bed. And he, that's Elijah, cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon this widow with whom I sojourn by by slaying her son? Elijah's having his questions. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. He had taken the dead body of the child and had gone up the steps upstairs and the mom's down there wondering what in the world's going on. What's going to happen? 
And then she looks and she hears footsteps. This is in my mind. She sees the feet of Elijah on the top of the steps, and he's coming down, and he's holding his son. And in my mind, I picture the boy there, you know, rubbing his eyes and saying, what happened? <laughs> what, what happened? And then the mom is experiencing another miracle, verse 23. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him into his mother. And Elijah see, said, see, Thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know thou art a man of God. Wait a minute, didn't you already learn that? Didn't you already experience the miracle of God? Elijah said, you know, fix me and some food and your son and you some food and, you know, God's going to provide for us and, you know, God did provide. I mean, it was a miracle. I started to say nothing short of a miracle. No, it was a miracle. You go back and, you know, the barrel's got more flour in it and the cruise has more oil in it. Wasn't that enough? Apparently not. Because she says, now I know that thou art a man of God. No doubt she was a slow learner, and we're not going to fault her for that. The truth of the matter is a lot of us are slow learners too. We experience the goodness of God. We think everything is great, everything is going well, and then God presents us with another challenge where we realize, you know what, you're not as spiritual as you think you are. She had to experience a far greater miracle even than the flour and the oil. And she says, now. By this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. And that's what God wanted to hear from her. He allowed her to go through those trials because he knew that she was not where she needed to be spiritually. And even though it was painful, it was a problem with a purpose. And you may be going through something right now that is painful. But as a believer, you can take comfort in knowing that it is a problem with a purpose. There are some valuable lessons to learn about obedience and trials. Number one, and some of these I've already alluded to, but number one, trials can follow blessings. We need to understand that. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. After these things, after experiencing the the miracles of God, (coughs) after experiencing the miracles of God and seeing God provide for them through the drought, she still experienced this great trial. Let us not be surprised if you go through a period of blessings where all is going well only to, for God to allow you now to go through a trial. After these things, Lee Robertson, the great preacher down in uh, Tennessee, passed away not too long ago, said this, faith in, God has, faith in God has not saved people from hardships and trials, but it has enabled them to bear tribulations courageously and to emerge victoriously. Think it not strange when you go through a trial or I go through a trial. For an unsaved family member or friend, that trial just seems like 
the worst bad luck they could ever experience, therefore frustrating them, therefore depressing them, therefore in some cases causing them to live in denial as if it really didn't happen and just, you know, ignoring it and the purpose of it, or driving them to drink or driving them to drugs. It's very pitiful when a lost person goes through a trial. But for a saved person, you can have blessings. You can think that you're residing on easy street. But the problem with that is sometimes we can get complacent. Sometimes we can take take things for granted. Sometimes we can stop growing. Sometimes our faith can be uh, muted. And God comes along and says, I love them enough that they need to grow. They, They need to learn some things. And one of the tools that he uses is trials. But we got to be careful, point number two from this lesson. Trials can tempt us to play the blame game. We need to be reminded this morning that we don't want to go there. If we're not careful, life is good, you got saved, God is blessed, and now all of a sudden things have taken a turn for the worse. If you're not careful, you may be tempted then to play the blame game. 1 Kings 17, 18. And she said unto Elijah, now her son is dead. What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Initially, with this problem situation that is supposed to end up being a blessing for, for her, initially, she's not getting it. She's not trusting God right here. Initially, she's blaming Elijah. You've come here to stir up trouble. You've come here to make me, you know, this is, all this is doing is, is reminding me of my shortcomings of the past, my sins of the past. That's not what it's about at all. But what we learn here is we, like her, may be tempted to go there, and you miss the point. You know, this could be a diversion of Satan. Rather than looking to God and say, God, you've allowed this for a reason, let me learn from it. No, our, our initial response can simply be emotional. we're missing it. So we're playing the blame game. Here's a good quote concerning the blame game. Blame doesn't empower you. Think about that. It keeps you stuck in a place you don't want to be because you don't want to make the temporary but painful decision to be responsible for the outcome of your own life's happiness. As long as this widow woman is intent on playing the blame game, she's going to miss the whole point of the lesson that God is trying to teach her. So you and I need to be careful because that we've probably all done that at one time or another. Things go wrong, things go bad, and our initial response is to blame somebody. Blame your spouse, blame your children, blame the pastor, blame the church, Blame Hillary, blame Trump, blame, you know, whoever. But what good does that do? We need to be bigger than that. We need to be better than that. We need to be mature enough to know that no God has allowed this for a reason. As Spurgeon says, the Lord chooses the time, he chooses the place, he chooses the intensity. This is between me and God. It's not between me and you. We need to understand that, and we need to resist the temptation of playing the blame game when life gets difficult and life gets hard. 
That's a good way to miss the whole point. Number three, another temptation. Trials can cause us to question God. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him down on his bed. And he cried unto the Lord and he said, O Lord, my God. Now, even Elijah is getting in on the act of missing the point of all this because he says, Hast thou, hast thou brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? Even Elijah is missing the point initially here by questioning God. God, what are you up to? Is that like the most foolish question we could ask God? What are you up to? Like he doesn't know? But that's what Elijah's doing here. Questioning God, if we're not careful, simply illustrates a lack of faith. I like this quote, trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and drive us to our Savior. After a couple warnings, not to question God, not to play the blame game, let's look at some positives here. Number one, or number four, trials can draw us closer to God. We're looking back at Elijah now because God is doing a work both in the widow's heart and in Elijah's heart as well. So we're kind of going back and forth how this trial is affecting the two of them. Trials can draw us closer to God. And he stretched himself, this is Elijah, upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. This trial right before Elijah is calling is causing him to go to God, to cry out to God in honest and sincere prayer. Had it been a day of blessings, chances are he wouldn't have done that. Had it been a routine day going to work, just doing, you know, the stuff that prophets do back then, doing that prophet stuff that they do, chances are he wouldn't have had that earnest, sincere encounter with God. But trials have a way of us getting away from everybody else and getting off in a private place and perhaps through tears praying to God and say, God, help me. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said this, trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician prescribes because we need them. And he, and he proportions the frequency and weight of them to what the case requires. Isn't it true that when things are going good, when you're on vacation, it's easy not to do devotions. When you're on vacation, your prayer life can go down the tube. But when you're facing a trial, when you're in a hospital waiting room, let's, let's join hands and pray. And I mean pray as perhaps you've never prayed before. That's a reminder of how shallow sometimes our faith can be. Trials can draw us closer to God. Number five, two more. Trials can allow God to display his grace. 
I love verse 22. Here, Elijah, he's wondering. He, 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 he doesn't know what's going on. He's questioning God. And yet the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. We're, we're thankful for the blessings of God. We're, we're grateful for the times of peace. We're grateful for the times of harmony. But how much more grateful are we when we're in the middle of a trial and God sends the answer? And God heals the individual. God provides that job you needed desperately. God miraculously looks over us. John Newton, to quote him again, A measure of trials is necessary for the exercise and manifestation of your graces to give you a more convincing proof of the truth and sweetness of the promises made to a time of affliction, to mortify the body of sin and to wean you more effectually from the world. And lastly, and I think most importantly, trials can grow our faith. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. Didn't the flour and the oil... Prove it? Apparently not. She was apparently a slow learner. And truth of the matter is, we're probably all slow learners. Now by this I know thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Sometimes that's what it takes. It takes a trial to grow us. How's the the quote go? Seasoned sailors are not produced by calm waters. To be a seasoned sailor that you trust, you value him, it's because, hey, I've been through storms far worse than this. I got this. A life of just blessings without trials can warp us into maybe some kind of soft, easy, comfortable kind of Christianity. This quote, the man who has an easy way through life will be spiritually weak, flabby, and impoverished. He won't be able to do all that God wants him to do. But the one who has gone through the trials and testing successfully will be strong and capable of doing all the will of God. George Mueller, the preacher in England back in the 1700s, 1800s, said this, To learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. And another preacher said this, and this is so true. We are always on the anvil. By trials, God is shaping us for higher things. I've heard a lot of great testimonies in my life. I enjoyed the testimonies this past Tuesday, but I don't think any testimony has moved me more than when Sharon and I went to the conference, uh, small town preachers conference over in Illinois. And I don't remember her name. Sharon, would you happen to remember her name? Anyway, this is a woman, her and her husband, missionaries to the Philippines. This made national news for several months. They were captured by some Filipino rebels and they, they lived in the jungle and her conditions were most horrible. I hate to even say it, but just to give you an idea, she said, she said, as a woman, she said, in that jungle, I could not go to the restroom without one of those guards accompanying me and watching me. 
So that, that's just a sample of what she... And sleeping on the jungle floor with bugs crawling all over you. And yet she's standing before an auditorium that was ten times the size of this one, filled with people giving her testimony that otherwise she would have never been able to give. God wants, I believe, all of us to give testimonies of his grace, of his goodness, and of his faith. And he wants seasoned sailors to do that. Those who have, by faith in him, weathered the storms of life. And you can be a blessing and encouragement to someone else. Yes, it's hard when you're going through it. But going through it can reveal so much to you about yourself and so much to you about the goodness of God. This widow lady experienced God's miracles in her life. She experienced the blessings of God. And then just like that, it turned around. Maybe you're at that point right now. Let let both Elijah and this widow woman inspire you, inform you, and encourage you. Look to her, look to Elijah, and look to the God they serve and realize you too can make it and you'll be the better for it. You're not going through something that's just bad luck right now. It's not, you know, you toss the dice and it came up bad. No, that's, what, that's where unsaved people go. It's God working in your life right now. And it may be hard, it may be difficult, it may last longer than what you would like. But God sends this story this morning to help and encourage you. As we stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at Church. Thanks for listening.